My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Sandra Azakar. The core argument for public health care over private for-profit health care is pretty simple. The profit has to come from somewhere. That means that private for-profit healthcare ends up being less accessible and or more expensive, and it reduces costs by eroding working conditions and or lowering standards of patient care. There is no shortage of horror stories from the United States of people who have access to no healthcare at all or to inadequate levels of care, or who acquire care through taking on brutal levels of debt. Because it allows rich people to buy better care, according to today's guest, private for-profit healthcare is, quote, elitism, plain and simple. Sandra Azakar worked for many years as a child protection worker, and she went on to be a vice president of her union, the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees. For six years, she was on the board of directors of the group Friends of Medicare, and for the last seven years, she has been its executive director. Friends of Medicare is an advocacy organization that for the last four decades has been working to defend, improve, and expand the public healthcare system in Alberta. Over those four decades, governments have done many, many different things to chip away at public healthcare. In the 1980s, extra billing was an important front in the struggle. That's where doctors charge patients out of pocket above and beyond what they receive for a procedure from the provincial government. In the 80s and 90s, it included challenging limits to access to generic drugs, which are much cheaper than their name-brand equivalents. The 90s also saw initiatives in Alberta to introduce fully-fledged private for-profit facilities into aspects of the system. During Ralph Klein's tenure as Premier, it included some massive across-the-board cuts to the public system, as well as major reorganizations and the closure of several hospitals. At many points, specific services have been delisted, that is, removed from the schedule of procedures that provincial health insurance will pay for. Along the way, food and laundry services were contracted out. Again in 2008, there was a massive reorganization of the system, that, according to Azakar, threw it into chaos, and much, much more. The ways that Friends of Medicare has fought back against these measures, sometimes successfully, sometimes not, has included all of the methods that such organizations traditionally use. They have lots of town hall meetings. In more recent years, they've also made extensive use of social media campaigns. They maintain a membership list to whom they regularly circulate information and calls to action. They engage in lobbying with provincial and federal politicians. They work with progressive think tanks and scholars to produce research and better solutions to the problems that the public healthcare system faces. Sometimes they hold demonstrations. And in doing all of this, sometimes, as I said, they win. That includes things like stopping the closure of Alberta Hospital in Edmonton, winning a ban on the sale of plasma in the province and preventing the privatization of the blood supply, defeating Ralph Klein's sweeping reform package in 2005, and lots of other examples. As 2019 comes to a close, public health care in Alberta is once again facing serious threats. 
This year, the United Conservative Party under Jason Kenney was elected to form the provincial government. Based on statements so far, Azakar says she expects things like a new turn towards private for-profit facilities, delisting of some services from the provincial health plan, the ongoing entrenchment of privatized seniors' care, and much more. And, indeed, since this interview was done, the Kenny government has announced that more than 5,000 frontline healthcare jobs will be cut, as well as a plan for private for-profit surgical facilities. Despite this, Friends of Medicare has no intention of being content solely with defensive action. They continue to have a long-term commitment to improving and expanding public health care. They will be pushing for a public and universal national pharmacare program, as well as for much more robust commitments to public care for seniors and for people with mental illness. I speak with Azakar about public health care, about the ever-looming threats of cuts and privatization, and about the work of Friends of Medicare. My name is Sandra Azakar. I have been the executive director of Friends of Medicare for the last almost seven years now. Prior to that, I was on the board for six years as a representative of the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees. I was a vice president of that union, and that union represents about 96,000 workers in Alberta. It's one of the biggest unions. We have four sectors that we represent, which is education, general government workers, and healthcare and boards and agencies. And healthcare is one of the biggest areas of the workers that we represent. So that's why I used to sit on the board as a representative of AUP. And prior to that, I was a child protection worker for quite a significant amount of time. And a little bit prior to that, my country of origin is Chile. We came here as refugees. We lived in Argentina for about a year and then ended up in the Edmonton area. Friends of Medicare is an advocacy organization that has for the last 40 years been promoting the protection and expansion of our public health care system. Our goal is actually to propose a vision of progressive improvement founded upon our fundamental shared values. And we look at existing resources within Alberta Health Services, which is the governing body of our health care system here in Alberta. We're not necessarily advocating the status quo. What we call for is actually a fundamental cultural change in healthcare and the required changes that come along with that to provincial policy. And basically those cultural changes, the idea is that they reflect the values of public healthcare and that they embrace clear provincial standards to improve access to care and establish ways of assessing quality of care. So basically, in plain English, we want governments to recognize the importance of public health care and how we can expand it and how we can improve it and how we can make it so that all the policies and changes that are made are reflective of that core value. Tell me about the founding of Friends of Medicare and about some of its longer ago history. We started in May of 1979 when Alberta Federation of Labor adopted a paper entitled Friends of Medicare, Concerns on the Erosion of Medicare in Alberta. Friends of Medicare met loosely as a coalition for three years and we became an incorporated society in 1982 with a constitution so that we could have a more solid footing for fundraising and strategic action. In May of 1979, we also joined the Canadian Health Coalition to lobby government and to educate the public with other provincial and national organizations. 
Historically, we have been at the forefront of fighting legislation that has attempted over and over again to create a way of introducing more and more private health care in Alberta. We've been at the forefront of challenging, in 1979, extra billing, where doctors and facilities were charging fees over the schedule set by the Alberta Health Care Insurance Plan. We fought Bill 94 when the Alberta Health Care Insurance Amendment Act was passed in 1980, which implicitly legalized extra billing. We have taken all kinds of public action campaigns to ensure that these bills were either stopped or at least amended in order to protect public health care. We've collected a series of petitions and have had rallies around, you know, the neoliberal reforms in the 1980s. We took action, for example, in the Alberta health care insurance premiums that were increased at the same time that a long list of services were suddenly deemed not medically necessary here, which continues to be the case where we are constantly seeing the loss of medically covered services in Alberta as a way of privatizing by stealth. We did a campaign in the 1980s called Generic Drugs Please, a campaign which we renewed in 1988 when the Mulroney government announced plans to extend patent periods and make Canadian generic drugs less available. And so the conversation that we're currently having around pharmacare and the need to have pharmacare stems from decisions that were made decades ago. We saw a renewing of our work during the decline years when the premier, when he had just come into power, he implemented a 20% across-the-board cutback and regionalization and privatization in our healthcare system. So we became quite active in that time to bring attention to some of the initiatives that the Klein government was trying to impose. We initiated a campaign called Medicare Alert. We kicked off a series of public hearings and rallies that gained quite a notoriety because of the sizes of these rallies that we were able to put together. At that time, we also joined more actively the Canadian Health Coalition and the Canadian Labour Congress and Action Canada Network to observe a national Medicare week with events in Calgary and in Edmonton. In the work that we did during the decline years, we had serious campaigns around the introduction of Bill 11, which again would have seen more of creating the third way that Klein wanted to actually see. And when he left, he did an interview where he talked about that the only regret that he had as a politician was that he was not able to convince the Ethels and the Marthas of this world that private health care would somehow come in and save our health care system. We led, again, the way to protect our public hospitals. Again, during the decline years, we saw the Calgary General Hospital being blown up. And the primary reason that Klein did that, according to him, was the province's debt and deficit, just to justify the capacity reduction strategy that closed down almost half of our existing hospital beds. It culminated with the explosion of the Calgary General Hospital that was blown up. They also closed two other hospitals at that time that were eventually bought by private clinics that are now currently in existence in those public facilities. In 1997, for example, we brought attention to the Health Resource Group. It was one of those companies that bought the Calgary Holy Cross Hospital that had been recently renovated at public expense for $30 million to open the first private for-profit hospital in Alberta. That company went bankrupt the following year, and uh, Burton spent tons of money trying to bring back 900 surgeries that were supposedly being done there at an incredible cost. 
So we have had plenty of privatization experiments in Alberta that have not served to create a positive narrative for privatization in our healthcare system. And what have the main struggles been during your years with Friends of Medicare? The centralization of our healthcare system started to happen by the creation of a super board in 2008. What we saw was that there was no accountability of who was in charge of the issues with our healthcare system. What they did was to create a buffer of responsibility when they created the Super Board Alberta Health Services. They were talking about trying to save money and be more efficient, but what it ultimately resulted was in quite a few years of complete and utter chaos when it came to the delivery of services and the governance of our public health care. So every time that something went wrong, the government would blame Alberta Health Services and Alberta Health Services would blame the government. We saw a circus in terms of how much money was being spent on the board itself. We saw at least three or four CEOs go through. We saw millions of dollars being spent on severance payments for the various vice presidents that were happening. What we were seeing is more and more attempts to destabilize and undermine the efficiency of our public system. Since that time, we have been supporting the rights of healthcare workers. We understand fully that working conditions are care conditions, and over and over again, we have seen attacks to the provision of our frontline workers, either by actions such as privatizing and outsourcing some of the services that are provided in the public system, like food and laundry services have all been contracted out. Along with Alberta Union of Provincial Employees, we brought attention to the lack of quality of food in public facilities. We were able to engage in a fight to save one of the few remaining hospitals that provides mental health, the Alberta Hospital. That was a huge fight that we were able to successfully complete. In March of 2017, we were able to pass a legislation that would protect blood plasma, which banned the sale of plasma in Alberta. That was one of our most inspiring victories because we were not only able to impact legislation directly, but also to prevent the privatization of and keep our blood supply out of the hands of profiteers when they were trying to get approval for for for-profit paid donation blood plasma clinics. So that was quite the victory that we had. We've also brought attention to long-term care as one of the major health care issues in Alberta. That's one of the areas where we have seen the most marketization and corporatization of a public service. So we've worked very closely with think tanks to get research done around the importance of publicly delivered long-term care and to bring attention to the fact that in this province we have a crisis when it comes to our continuing care system. We've also brought attention to another huge area of privatization, which is the home care area, where, again, we have seen an incredible amount of marketization, where most of our home care delivery is actually done by private companies all the way from Ontario. Very little is actually being provided by the public system now. And more often than not, people are being expected to pay out of pocket if they want more hours of services or if they feel that they need more care. And they don't recognize the fact that home care is an integral part of our health care system, that without a strong home care program, that more people as a result end up in hospitals rather than in the community where they need to be. We've brought attention to the health care deficit in rural areas. 
We've called for a coherent policy on primary health care, where we support a primary health care policy and delivery model that is a community-driven and governed, people-centered and team-delivered, rather than what we're seeing happening with a primary care network model that was brought out, where people are expected to register. There is somewhat more of an oversight than initially when the program started in terms of how the money is being allocated. But we've seen a systematic lack of any kind of transparency in administration or expenditure of public dollars. And more often than not, they're being expected to do more and more for Albertans in terms of primary health care. But we're not necessarily seeing an improvement in people having access to the front door of health care services. We've continued to call for high priority for mental health services. I know that they've moved away from a harm reduction model to simply recovery and addictions. And what we do know, though, from years of an underfunded system is that mental health services is also one of those areas that is the most privatized, where people just simply don't have the money to access mental health or addiction services without help from either the public system or out-of-pocket payment. We definitely want to see more services being provided under the public delivery model without people having to come up with money that they may not necessarily have at the time that they need mental health services. What approaches to taking action has Friends of Medicare used over the years? We're not well-funded. We rely on donations. We rely on our labor organizations to provide us with funding, and we rely heavily on fundraising. We do a lot of education by having town hall meetings, by creating social media awareness campaigns, and we do as much as we can in terms of sending out information to as many people as we can through social media and through our membership list. We lobby as much as we can. We go and meet with MPs and MLAs. We provide them with information and a different way of looking at the issues. We provide them with potential solutions because sometimes we get accused of just bringing up problems but not solutions. We provide them with solutions as to how to improve health care, and then we organize. We organize rallies. We still organize events where people will have the opportunity to air out their concerns. We provide information. We allow people to look for more information if they so wish. And if they support what we're trying to do, then what we're doing is calling them to participate in, in a rally in the next couple of days. It goes back to that whole motto of educate, agitate, and organize so that people that support the work that we do are fully in knowledge of why it is that they support it. Our organization is nonpartisan. Because there's a lot of people that are on whatever political spectrum they are that still believe in public health care. And those are the people that we strive to reach to as well. I think in a lot of ways, health care is not a left or right issue. It is definitely a human right issue. And that's how we approach it. So we invite anybody who believes in equity and fairness that underlie our health care system to join us, regardless of what your political stripe is. So that's how we try to encourage engagement. It's not a right or a left narrative that holds the key to public health care. It's absolutely everybody because health care impacts absolutely everybody. Why is defending the public character of Medicare so central to your group's work? Health care is a great equalizer in society. It allows people to have a service, which is a human right, be there based on need and not ability to pay. 
So anytime that you bring in any kind of privatization, it's elitism, plain and simple. We know who we are as Canadians, and when we say no over and over again to private health care, for us is what drives the work that we do. Private health care allows richer people to buy better health care, and those that benefit from the profits to be made just don't care what that means for everyone else. One of my favorite justifications for private health care is that it would help the public system because private patients would step out of the line and free up space. But that's just simply trickle-down economics applied to health care is trickle-down health care. You know, we cut rich people's taxes and give them better health care, and that's a really great way to help poor people. But it doesn't work. And anybody who's a real economist knows that it won't work. We basically have a system that answers the question of, if we can't be equal when we're sick, then really, when can we be equal? And private health care just creates that inequality. And that's not something that we as Canadians want. And they have said over and over again that that's not necessarily the place that we want to end up in. The public system is a great equalizer and it needs to be there. You've mentioned that Friends of Medicare is not just about defending the existing system, but about fighting to strengthen and improve it. What would a stronger, better system look like? It's a very timely conversation that Canadians are actually having and where we are hoping to see some real action from the federal government is, for example, in the area of the National Pharmacare Program. When I'm talking about changing the culture, those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about is the fact that, you know, pharmacare is an unfinished business of Medicare, where Tommy Douglas' vision initially talked about getting rid of the cost that people had to incur. It was addressing the affordability of our healthcare system. And the second vision was to include dental care and pharmacare and vision care. We have been so close so many times to actually being able to achieve, to expand for the first time, historically speaking, to see the first expansion of our public health care system by bringing in a national pharmacare program that it's, it's almost at the fingertips. And all it requires is basically political will. We have done all the studies. Every single parliamentary report since decades ago have pointed to the fact that Canadians would benefit incredibly from this that currently the cost barriers to accessing medication causes people to have to choose between buying food and heating their homes to dying to basically very, very negative consequences that are not being addressed unless we implement a national pharmacare program. In the areas of seniors' care, what we would love to see is to have some federal leadership around setting a senior strategy that would be national, that would ensure a system that's affordable, that meets their acuity of care, that actually provides a level of care across the country, regardless of where you live, and that is also portable, that you can actually go in and live your last years with the dignity that every single Canadian deserves. So those are the kinds of things that we need to be looking at. A home care, a mental health strategy that would see Canadians, regardless of where they live, receive the same quality of service that's not cost prohibiting when it comes to accessing home care or mental health services. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And if we're serious about this whole approach about changing the policy to be reflective of the values that underline our healthcare system, that it has to be done there. But if there's no political will to do it, then Canadians will continue to see healthcare systems in each province that are not meeting the needs that people have. 
What are the key fights that Friends of Medicare faces at the moment in the context of the Kenny government in Alberta? One of the biggest fights, I think, comes from the idea that they want to see more private health care being introduced to our public system. They keep on pointing to introducing, for example, the private surgical facilities to, according to them, deal with some of the wait times that our province currently has. One of the ideas that they have is to introduce a surgical initiative the same as what Saskatchewan did in 2009. But we know that that policy is insupportable. It has been proven over and over again in Alberta that solution that the Saskatchewan government introduced only worked while they were willing to invest millions of dollars on operating costs. And now Saskatchewan has higher wait times than Alberta does. You know, and going back to introducing more private surgical facilities, we went down that route when I mentioned the health resource center here that we had to bring back all those private paid-for surgeries back into the public system because that company went bankrupt. So we've been there, done that, but they are insistent that that's one of the ways that they're going to deal with wait times rather than focusing perhaps on other systemic issues that they definitely need to look at, for example, as to what is bottlenecking our wait times in, in Alberta. Is it the fact that we also was the first province to introduce private diagnostic imaging where we contract out CT scans and MRI scans, and then if people have money, they can jump the queues so that they can get on the surgical wait times faster than people that can't afford it? That's plain privatization right there. So there's a lot of things that need to be addressed when it comes to addressing wait times. The other big issue that we will be seeing again is when it comes to governments trying to look at medically essential services, they've already talked about looking at the benefit medical schedule here in Alberta, which is what we saw in the 1990s. Again, taking things that are medically essential off the list and then people don't even realize it until they actually go to the doctors and see that some of those services are no longer covered. The other issue, too, is that they will continue on this path of privatizing seniors' care under a program that's called the Affordable Supported Living Initiative, where the government gives for-profit corporations or not-for-profit corporations 50% of the capital to build long-term care facilities or continuing care facilities, but we don't own it. We don't own those buildings at all. And what happens is that we provide those providers with operational funding to hire and retain workers. But there's, again, no accountability and no transparency as to where the money is being allocated because of commercial confidentiality. So we are going to be trying to get as much information out as possible for people, again, starting with that education and then rallying our troops. But this time it's a different type of a fight. I don't think we're all alone anymore. There's tons of groups that actually see the importance of advocacy around health care that make it easier for us to become louder. That's what we're hoping to do is to tap into some of the newer groups that are out there advocating for the same thing and engaging those groups so that we can all have a place of unity where we're going to be able to stand up against some of the significant changes that we're going to be seeing under this Kenny government, all in the guise of deficit reduction and taking back our province from I don't know what, but taking it back. You have been listening to my interview with Sandra Azakar of Friends of Medicare. To learn more about their work, go to friendsofmedicare.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>